0: Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We have on Rally Partanen, vice chair and co-founder of Finnish Modernists, and CEO of Thinkatom, a nuclear technology and energy advocate group based in Finland. More can be found by going to their website, thinkatom.net. Raleigh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us about your background and how you came to be focused on nuclear energy and technology.
1: Uh, well, I started a couple of years ago uh, digging deeper. I started a blog, so I started to do some, some research. I was re, uh, writing mostly about. Uh, resource cars, scarcity and climate change and stuff like that and my blog got really good feedback and it's in Finnish, Finnish mostly though uh, and uh, then I started writing a book about the same subject and uh, that book also did very well. Uh got nominated for best nonfiction book in Finland in 2013 which then enabled me to get grants to write more books and I started to get a little bit desperate with the climate situation and around that point i i read a couple important books that kind of gave me hope and those were were about nuclear uh this one by tom Blees, prescription for the planet which basically describes a fourth generation nuclear reactor so that was very exciting and and uh I started digging more into the kind of public discussion around nuclear uh if all the stuff that i hear uh, we hear about nuclear energy in in the media in the social media and and stuff like that if it's actually true or or fact factual information or or just uh stories that we tell and uh, the more i kind of duck into the subject the more i started to notice that this nuclear option might be something very interesting and something that 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 we have been overlooking quite a bit in in the kind of climate climate fight. So and and since then I've been kind of digging more and more deeply deeply into the nuclear nuclear thing, and uh, you could say that nowadays I'm an at least semi-professional advocate and and analyst of of nuclear power. I think it's a very potential tool for for helping with the climate climate situation.
0: So tell us about the work you're doing today. So you kind of mentioned the book and and uh, your your website. So what kind of stuff are you doing today? Uh, what are you actively uh, doing? I know you travel a lot.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, to start, a couple of years ago, we we started this non-profit environmental organization called Ecomonist Society of Finland. It's basically a pro-evidence, pro-science uh, environmental organization. Uh, basically, it was a group of frustrated people who were kind of losing their hope on the climate and environmental issues, but then also recognized that. Our current environmental organizations are not very pragmatic uh, in their solutions that they propose, so they're a bit more ideological. And oftentimes, uh, well, everybody knows that Greenpeace and and much of the rest don't like nuclear, for example, which is kind of in in direct conflict with the thing that it could help uh, quite a lot in in the climate fight. So we did that, uh, and it's still ongoing. Uh, I'm not the vice chair anymore anymore, but I, I am their energy analyst. And uh, about a year ago, me and a couple of friends uh, kind of took it to the next level or, or more professional level. We we co-founded this Think Atom, which is also a nonprofit, but it's a think tank. Uh, Concentrating on on nuclear and I'd say especially on on small nuclear reactors and how we could use them to decarbonize the heating sector. Uh, Because in Finland, for example, in Finland and Sweden uh, the electricity grid is quite clean already. But there is still a lot of emissions. I mean in, in Finland it's like 10 tons per person per year. Which is quite a bit because we have a lot of industry. And that industry uses a lot of heat. So we need to decarbonize those next. And incidentally, small reactors would be a very good option option for that. But we felt that well, the policymakers are not aware of, of these possibilities, the regulations need rewriting, the legislation needs rewriting. So there's a lot to do before we can even... Start thinking about constructing a small reactor in Finland. So we kind of started doing that work and, and telling people about them, making studies. How how I just recently f- uh, released a study on how we could decarbonize the district heating networks in Finland using small reactors, for example.
0: Well, I want to get to that in a second. So so you're the energy analyst, uh, along with of course the co-founder there at Finnish EcoWanderness. How about climate change, which you know it's it's interesting that word kind of popped up I don't know how many years ago, but but before that it was you know global warming, global warming, and so you know maybe this climate change thing is kind of a rebranding what's what's mm. your thought on climate change what's what's your view on that?
1: I guess it depends a bit on the day. <laughs>
0: But uh, I do have to agree with the
1: kind of mainstream science that it is—it is one of the kind of long-term biggest threats to human well-being and environmental well-being. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes people forget that right now, for example, poverty is an enormous environmental problem as well. The fact that people don't have enough energy and they take that energy from their immediate surroundings, causing erosion and and pollution and stuff like that. So it's kind of push and pull. Uh, People need more energy to get out of poverty, which also increases their capability to deal with climate change. But if they use fossil fuels to make that energy then they make the problem worse so it depends a little bit on the day how worried about about i am on on the kind of climate change and how worried about i am on the poverty of of people
0: i i think that's important because the quality of the energy uh is is really what it's boiling down to so how can we distribute quality energy uh around the world and and obviously nuclear is part of that discussion because there's there's mm-hmm. nothing that uh, we've that uh, humans have developed that has that kind of power potential, and uh, so I think it's a, a key piece. Um, and and the whole climate change thing as well is is the thought of from a perspective of a of a geologist the the amount of time it takes for mineralization to occur or weather patterns. You know, for us humans. You know, we might be lucky if we get a hundred years in our life, whereas the climate uh, has, and and the, or the Earth and so forth, is thinks in a completely different context of time, and mm-hmm. uh, so it's really interesting the the uh, the dynamics that are at play with with the whole uh, climate change situation and the two different sides that have kind of come up. So I want to I want to talk about energy in general. Um, so you kind of looked at all forms of energy and and why does nuclear remain in your mind to be one that is the hardest to take off the energy discussion table?
1: well there's there's a couple reasons for that. you did mention the quality. Uh, from that uh, I thought that it's it's like the density the energy density is is one of the key things uh, when you utilize nuclear energy the amount of fuel that you need to produce a certain amount is basically a million times less than than if you produce that energy from a hydrocarbon chemical energy like coal or oil or biofuel or or gas so that's that's one of the kind of ultimate strengths of nuclear energy but it's also one of the kind of biggest dangers because it's so dense it's easy to make a very powerful nuclear bomb out with with nuclear energy that you can kind of transport easily and and stuff like that so it's kind of like it's a it's a very good um good thing about nuclear energy but it's also also a bad thing so it's it boils down to how how we want to use use this Um, and but with that kind of density comes also the prospect of environmental impact that's how much materials you need to mine to produce that energy and in that comparison nuclear is also uh, very good because uh, I don't have anything against wind or solar and, and and stuff like that. But they do require quite a bit of materials. Because they utilize these kind of uh, not so concentrated energy flows like wind or, or solar. Uh, so that's by definition they, they need more materials. Uh, another one is, is land use you can have a nuclear power plant that produces basically the amount of electricity that the whole country needs in just one spot, a small area. But if you compare that to, for example, biofuels, you will need uh, basically millions of hectares of, of land to grow that amount of energy. So that's a huge difference there. So there's this multiple things. That nuclear has that makes it quite unique in in both good and and basically also bad bad ways it's the energy density is one of those
0: tell me about in, in finland give give the audience for for the folks who don't know out there give the audience kind of what the energy mix is presently in in finland so what's kind of the key forms of energy and then what's the public perception there towards nuclear today and also, how is that perception against or or, or for uh, wind and solar and and these, you know, kind of so-called they use the term renewables, but but really it's just another form of energy that that does have a footprint, as you just described. What's kind of the uh, the energy mix there in Finland, and and what's the perception on nuclear and and some of these other sources?
1: Okay, well, uh, Finland actually has quite diverse
0: energy mix.
1: Uh, I'm just Pulling this out of my head, I don't have the statistics in, in front of me, but I think wood fuels right now is the biggest single source, and that is largely due to the fact that we have a lot of forest per capita, and we have a lot of uh, forest and pulp industry in Finland. So when you make make pulp, for example, you have a lot of uh, residues and, and waste streams from that, and the pulp mills use those to make energy so that kind of the whole industry makes makes a lot of its kind of old own energy from the raw materials that it uses so wood is, is biggest and of course oil is a, is a big one because it's used for transportation uh, then we have nuclear we have four reactors currently running and the fifth is coming online in about six months time i'd say planning the Olkiloto 3 startup finally. Uh, We are also uh, starting to construct the next one in a couple years time when the construction permits and and all that paperwork gets done. Uh, We just last year we had no it was actually start of this year that we have a vote to ban coal use in energy production by 2029, and that's all, uh, actually causing causing some some problems. Uh, we don't have these coal plants that only burn coal for electricity. Uh, only I think only one is operational in Finland, one or a couple at the most. But we use we u- do use coal for district heating, like co-generating of of power and heat which is a very efficient way to use, use fuel. So you make electricity, but you use some of the waste heat to make district heating. And uh, some of the bigger cities like Helsinki is, is currently kind of uh, very actively trying to look for, for other ways to, to replace the coal plants that they have to sh- shut down in, in 10 years' time. Because 10 years in, in energy, is, energy world is, is a very short time. As, as you know, uh, so probably they will be replaced by natural gas and, and more biofuels simply because uh, small nuclear reactors probably can't be built in, in inside 10 years. Uh, but after that, maybe we will replace some of the gas and eventually some of the biofuels with, with SMRs, small nuclear reactors for heating purposes. On the acceptability front, they actually did a study a couple months ago, and it had the highest acceptability for nuclear in the Finnish history of the of these studies. It was 49% was for nuclear, and only 14% was against nuclear. So even even in the, uh, the voters of Green Party were more for nuclear than against nuclear, which was kind of, I think, very encouraging and, and even phenomenal in this sense. And we also had uh, one Green Party member get to the parliament in this spring's elections, a good good friend of mine, Atte Harjanne. Uh, and he was running on a very openly pro-nuclear platform from the Green Party. And he got through. So, so things are changing for, for the better at least here in Finland, and I, I'd say that's partly at least thanks to, to the eco-modernist movement that we started a couple of years ago. So we've been uh, discussing the, the topic uh, very actively uh, in, in, in the media and social media and uh, these kinds of events and, and conferences and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I also think that the climate change, uh, that that has been very prominent also in the media for example, especially in the last year or six months when the IPCC came out with the 1.5 degree uh, report last autumn, it's been prominent in the media so people are kind of, they are worried about it and they are so worried that they are also willing to kind of rethink their, their views on nuclear
0: power. So when when you uh, come across a person uh, in in your travels or in Finland or otherwise, and you engage in that conversation about nuclear, and and you, maybe you don't know that that person is is maybe potentially pro nuclear or anti nuclear, let's let's look at a from a view of an anti nuclear person. When you talk to these type of people, uh, how do you approach the discussion?
1: Well, that's a good question, and it's always a little bit depending on the on the situation and and the person, and and I guess my my mood as well, uh, I, because I, I know that from the top of my head I can remember some very frustrating discussions with some some uh, anti-nuclear people, uh, but I also remember some very productive discussions. Uh, I will take one example we we wrote a book uh, on nuclear and, and climate change in, in Finnish a couple of years ago and we were invited to discuss it in the morning television show uh, with one uh, this kind of traditional environmentalist who was quite anti-nuclear and the discussion was okay fine and, and, and stuff like that but actually what he said after the discussion in the when we got out from the studio was that was kind of more important to me he said that first of all after reading this book i did change my mind about nuclear so right uh, i'm not uh, opposing the plants that are running right now i think it's fine to use them as as long as they're safe which was a kind of it's usually the first step (laughs) In that he didn't want to close everything down as soon as possible anymore Uh, but secondly he also said that it's very good that this uh, pro-nuclear stance comes from an environmentalist that you you get environmentalists who are arguing for nuclear and then i realized that yeah that that's actually the case that for the last 20 years that he's been an environmentalist the only only people he talked about nuclear with were basically nuclear industry people. And they didn't share necessarily the values, at least openly, that he had. Like environmentalism and and, and the well-being of of people and nature. Uh, But now he had somebody who shares those values come up with a pro nuclear argument made in a sensible way and that's a totally new pers- uh, kind of experience for him and made him think that yeah there there might be something into this and that's actually i think that's the most important thing when uh, when i try to discuss this with with new people is to share some of the values that they have if they care about climate, if they care about environment, if they care about well jobs or affordable energy or clean energy or, or whatever, is to try to find something to share. because when we, when we share something he's very much more kind of willing to listen what I have to say. There's this saying that I, I like to repeat is that uh, people don't care that you know until they know that you care. Uh, and I think that sums it up uh, pretty well
0: yeah I think that does make a lot of sense um, and that's a, that's a good way to approach it that's one of the things that uh, that I think all of us that have done the research and investigation into these forms of energy and of and really for the base quality uh, robust backbone of energy it really falls on on nuclear and and that's for those of us who have done the research and understand that uh, trying to manage uh, these discussions with people that we come across in the industry or people who don't know about it um, and so forth and so i think it's important that uh, you have that approach on that i want to ask you kind of associated with that uh, what does the industry participants, so maybe the nuclear utilities, maybe the advocates, what do you think needs to be done more of to better get the message out about nuclear energy to new hearts and minds?
1: That's a very important question. Uh, first of all, I, I, I'd i say that I've read some of the history of, of this uh, industry and recently I, I found a book Uh, that was released in the early 1970s and it basically states that back then the nuclear industry decided or the utilities that had nuclear uh, power plants they also had coal power plants and gas power plants so there's actually no nuclear industry there's utilities that have different kind of power plants but they decided to shut up about nuclear uh pretty much because it would make their coal plants look bad so okay let's not talk about them uh, and the only thing that they actually have been discussed uh coming coming forth is the safety and that makes people scared uh, and that makes the nuclear industry people think that they need to talk more about safety because people are afraid and giving them more facts about this improved safety will take away their fears but it will only make them more more afraid uh, so uh, i was recently invited to this nuclear communications event i i couldn't go because i had other stuff but basically i i did answer the the person who invented me that that just repeat these two steps step one stop talking about safety the safety culture is important inside the nuclear industry but don't enforce that outside the nuclear industry because people are not interested and if you do they will get afraid for a good reason and step two instead of communicating and talking within the nuclear industry go out there and talk with the people so those are basically the two steps that I, I kind of recommend so I've been to dozens of nuclear seminars and, and communication uh, conferences and, and stuff like that and they are all nice and good but it feels that only nuclear people talking with other nuclear people and they discuss what they should be doing but nobody is actually doing <laughs> doing the thing which is to go out there and talk with other people and then when you do that don't talk about safety talk about the benefits of of your product clean baseload reliable energy that's that's what you do you don't if you're a nuclear operator you don't do safety that's not your product electricity is your product so talk about that instead of the safety thing
0: I think that's I think that's a key piece. Um that's one of the things that uh that, that also has come up on this side too is is it's industry enthusiasts and industry participants that are talking to other enthusiasts and other participants in the same industry. And one mm-hmm. of the things that's lacking is that effort of the industry participants to go out and talk to the folks that are maybe on the other side and pursue actively, actively knock on their door and say, you know, let's, let's have a conversation about what our differences are and discuss why, why this industry continues and why on a global basis, it's still a net growth industry and, Mm -hmm. and why nuclear continues to be here and really discuss all those all those topics with people yeah. openly and and I know a number a number of those folks is, is one of those is, is waste of course is something that often comes up in those conversations sure uh, go, go ahead.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah uh, I mean uh, regarding that thing that has been changing in the last year uh, maybe two years is that the nuclear industry has been getting out and uh, they have been Getting themselves invited to clean energy conferences uh, for the new United Nations and stuff like that, and uh, I've had the pleasure to be invited by the nuclear industry to go there and and talk about the nuclear, the benefits of nuclear, and how you could, for example, use use small reactors to decarbonize outside of electricity production and stuff like that. So, it, just wanted to know that it's been getting a lot better and. Uh, I hope, and I I I I do see, the, see it as as getting even better in in the future because now nowadays the nuclear industry has been kind of getting it, its food into the door of these clean energy and and climate seminars and conferences and workshops and and stuff like that because before that it was I mean I I was in in Paris in the COP21 climate negotiations and that was the 21st time that these people get together. And it was the first time that nuclear had a panel panel discussion at this event. First time ever, after 20 years. Uh, so, <laughs> And it's basically our most important source of clean energy. I mean, hydro is a little bit bigger, but it's much harder to scale up. But that, that kind of, for me, that was like both horrible because it's been going on for so long and, and nothing has been done, but also exciting in the way that we can do a, a lot more if we get serious about this. So I'm kind of trying to go for the <laughs> exciting side of the thing.
0: Right, and you know, you, with with even with uh, you mentioned hydro, in a place like the United States where where hydro is really on the decline. Uh, I can think of a number of decommissioned projects Uh, that used to be hydro uh, power Mm. generation. What, obviously, in the United States here, you have uh, quite an appetite for trying your hand at at things like wind and solar, which have uh, really had a lot of capital, good after bad, poured into that space within the energy industry. In in Finland, is there an appetite for? wind and solar or how, how's the appetite there for wind and solar well
1: it's an interesting interesting situation regarding that in in finland we had this uh campaign a couple of years ago of this quite high feed-in tariffs or a similar kind of mechanism uh a guaranteed price for wind installations and we got basically the full full campaign uh installations and then there was a little bit break uh, when the campaign ended but nowadays in the last year or so we've also had announcements of new wind parks that are being built without any subsidies so and that's kind of interesting uh, that you had these subsidies a lot of wind got built now you don't have them anymore here or at least not much there is some 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 stuff, but not not as significant. But there are still projects. But what remains to be seen is how much of those projects we will kind of have in the longer run, and how much capacity that will mean in the in the longer run of of wind. Because obviously, right now we have uh, I think it's less than 10% of our electricity comes from wind so it's it's still manageable because we also have some hydro so you can do load following and and stuff like that quite easily Uh, but if we double that or triple that what will the situation be in the electricity markets then because we have we are in the common uh grid with with other nordic countries like sweden and norway who also have a lot of hydro that and can load follow but they are also building a lot of wind So it will be an interesting situation at what what point the kind of uh, wind power starts to eat its own value in the market is that when there is a windy day, you get very cheap electricity and it's hard to make money from that wind power when it's producing most of its power. So it remains to be seen, but it's interesting.
0: I think that's one of the one of the areas there where, where people often forget about the intermittent nature of of wind and solar and mm-hmm. the back end infrastructure that needs to be built out to to be able to use those forms and then the discussion and and really the jury is still out to some degree on how long those forms, when they're built out will last. I mean do we get twenty years out of them and I think that first generation. On a, on a big wide scale commercial basis is starting to come due uh, with the kind of the first generation wind and solar. And so I think people are starting to just now begin to find out on what is the replacement? How do we handle all the parts and, and the uh, the wore out components that need to be replaced on these systems? Because we know right now that they certainly are not catching that 60 to 80 year operating life that you might expect out of a modern uh, reactor. And so I Mm. think it's an interesting component that I don't think people have fully thought out yet. And uh, so it's just interesting to see what the perception is over there on the uh, wind and solar situation.
1: It's a little bit worrying overall in in society that if we build a nuclear reactor nobody's thinking about the value that it will produce in 30 years 40 years 50 years 60 years they're only interested in the basically the first 20 years uh, which makes nuclear kind of look like a bad investment because you have to build a very expensive reactor uh, up front before you get anything done it's similar with wind uh, but you will have to replace the wind power with wind turbine in in 20 years so then you have to invest again but with nuclear you don't have to do that But, but the thing is that as a society and as investors people don't look that far into the future like 30 years 40 years even though we should because that's the intergenerational thing with the climate change if if the Climate change gets keeps getting getting worse, and it's it's especially the 30, 40 years that we should be looking into, in my view, at least.
0: I agree because if you look at climate change in general, again, these climate change and, and uh, the weather cycles and the difference in in uh, in how things play out from a weather standpoint and so forth in in the the world. That's in a context of time that us humans really can't understand because we only live 100 years. And so when you look at a project, whether it's a mine that that has a a 50 or 80 year mine life or a nuclear reactor that's licensed out of the gate for 60 or 80 years uh, Mm -hmm. before they have to relicense, I think that's a key piece is making sure that you set up the proper infrastructure now even if you're not gonna be around in eighty years or sixty years or whatever it is. And so that's that's a key point that I think people miss. It's such a shorter time frame. And I think uh socially, uh and, and politically and so forth, economically, uh many of us humans uh think in, you know, two years, three years, five years, seven mm-hmm. years, ten years. And really can't see that long big picture. I mean if you look at the investment world, I mean people can barely hang on to a trade for a couple of weeks, and so mm. it's 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 that type of situation where you have that issue that that continues to prevail and and uh is is present in our society and how it's set up um i, I wanna talk about uh nuclear waste, and also I won't speak much about the safety record my my comments on safety about nuclear. Just, just to kind of get you thinking a little bit, um, when you it, it speaks for itself. When you look at the commercial operating history of of nuclear power, the safety record speaks for itself, and quite honestly, it's quite impressive. You know, people people speak sometimes <laughs> about their concerns for safety and nuclear, but then they're happy to go jump on a Boeing seven thirty seven Max and take that take or that a ride. car or or a <laughs> Or a self or, or a car that they can put on autopilot, and yeah, and somehow that. <laughs> somehow they think it's going to deliver them to uh, to work without crashing, and so there's there's these risks that people are willing to take, and then when they're back in the comfort of their own home sipping up a, on a cup of coffee, they they tend to form these these crazy opinions about energy, and what about the issues with the safety related to coal, what about the air pollution from coal in China and the people that die? What about the safety from natural gas pipelines that are mm. buried and go through a neighborhood in, in a in a town in the United States that randomly just explodes? What about transportation of oil by rail that that comes off the rail and wipes out a small town? You know what about these challenges where you have an aircraft that that crashes. And so, and, and, you know, immediately 200 people die. I don't know if the fear is about the fact that it's so instant and quick when you get in a car accident or you get in a plane accident, or you have a natural gas pipeline explode, or you fall off of a wind turbine to your death versus some of the longer lasting effects that people see with a nuclear uh, accident of some kind. And Mm -hmm. so, I won't speak much more about safety because I believe it speaks for itself. But tell me tell me what your thoughts are on what people see with nuclear waste and waste management. How do you see that in really the big picture of the world and about our much more pressing problems that we have as human beings like poverty, like getting quality energy?
1: Yeah. That's a kind of a very complex and interesting question and, and discussion like i said i don't want uh, want to talk about nuclear safety either i kind of never go into it in my own presentations if i don't absolutely have to and if i do have to then i just say that yeah but it's the safest energy source that we have according to all the evidence that we can think of and, and can find and that's that can we discuss something else uh But I I do kind of, and and the same goes actually with the waste. It's kind of, uh, nuclear waste has basically never hurt anyone. It has never killed a human being uh, during the like 60 years of time that we have had civilian nuclear power plant waste. Uh, So that should tell people something that why are they worried about it? because it's never done anything to anyone Uh, but the thing is that and i blame the industry and the academia around nuclear a little bit for for this that they talk about the waste problem they kind of keep the waste problem alive by doing uh, more and more and more studies on how we could contain the waste and how we can find ways that it will never become into anyone's environment and stuff like that. And and that that makes a normal person think that this must be horribly dangerous stuff. Of course when you take it from the reactor it's quite hot and, and radioactive. That's why you keep it into the water to cool down. Um, but it gets much less hot in just a couple of years. Uh, I mean, in the United States, I've seen these pictures about the uh, the, the storage facilities on the backyard of the nuclear power plant, just outside a canister and you can walk beside it and you don't die. And people don't get this image about the waste. They They've seen the Simpsons and it's green goo that instantly mutates everything <laughs> it touches and you get fish with three heads and 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 whatever so that's kind of like the that's the popular story of nuclear waste but the actual story is, is is quite different you can it's it's first first of all it's nuclear industry is the basically the only industry that collects and stores it it's waste properly the other ones use the atmosphere and environment as their storage they just spread it around carbon dioxide is one but also air pollution particulate matter and then you have depending a little bit on the on the place you have more or less robust plans for taking care of solar waste in europe you do have some mechanisms uh, to collect old solar panels and, and e-waste as, as it's called but in many places, there is no such things. Don't, they just end up in landfills, and, and uh, or they get shipped to some poor country where where people pick them up for for some valuable minerals or stuff like that, and and get all the toxins and poisons from those from those panels. Uh, so yeah, I mean, nuclear industry is the only one that takes care of its waste.
0: No, I would just say that I was going to add. You had some good points about. With if you look at coal, the waste is really uncontrolled. It's burned off and it, it settles where it settles. Mm. Uh, in some cases, in 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 the in the respiratory systems of of, of human beings is mm. is part of the disposal. And when you when you look at that, when you look at uh, asbestos. Uh, certainly in the United States uh, in other places, of course, too. But uh, asbestos is, is something very uh, monitored. Uh, the different in, uh, environmental departments and agencies around the United States monitor that when you, you know, demolish a, a residential house um, that's uh, that has asbestos containment um, and the and the efforts to uh, package and dispose of that. Um, you have all these different systems in place. And what is really lacking is all of these gen- in general have really an uncontrolled waste uh, supply chain. And what that is, mm-hmm. is is you have, like you just mentioned with solar and wind and, and some of this stuff, uh, electronics, used electronics. I mean, think of all the household electronics uh, that, yeah. that people dispose of uh, quickly um, and where those go. And there's really not a system in place to manage properly that waste. And if you look at it from a volume standpoint, it's a huge amount of volume. And then you switch gears and you go over and look at nuclear waste and the fact that it's controlled, inventoried, secured, uh, heavily wow. monitored. And Tiny. And, ti- and small. When you look at yeah. it from a total volume standpoint, it's actually incredibly small compared to all these other uh, Forms of waste uh you know whether it's residential trash, whether it's sewage uh, and yeah. all the other things that us as humans and consumers generate uh, throughout our daily lives, but yet uh, I've never seen anything so monitored and scrutinized more than the nuclear waste. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what about airplane maintenance i mean <laughs> how how concerned are we with that and so yeah. That's, I'm not that's,
1: concerned about that at all.
0: <laughs> right, right. I've so, never
1: even thought about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and you know, do you ever check your tires when you go go on a drive? Do you make sure that the air's right? Do you make sure your lug nuts are weren't loosened mm-hmm. in the night? You know, those those types of things. And so, I, I think that people need to put a perspective on it that uh, is really sensible and logical. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I thought you hit on some good points.
1: Yeah, people. They, on the other one, uh, on one hand, they are logical, and then on the
0: other hand, they are not
1: very logical. And as long as we talk about the nuclear waste as the kind of center point of the big problems of the nuclear industry, which is not, it's a non issue for, for if you look at it objectively. It's tiny, controlled, you can dig a hole and put it there, and it's, it'll basically never hurt anybody, and that's that. It, And it's the only industry that is actually doing this. Uh, But if you give it that much attention, like it's now given, then people logically start to think that there is something very dangerous about this stuff because they have to to give it this amount of uh, attention and they are spending hundreds of millions, even billions, to control that stuff and store that stuff. And it makes no sense. when you look at it i mean we have a lot more pressing and and important problems than than what we do with nuclear waste because the nuclear waste is it's tiny it's solid it's controlled it's not going anywhere just leave it there for a couple decades and let's deal with the other problems and then if we run out of problems then i'm i'm happy to go go back to solving the nuclear waste problem Uh, that that people think is is so important but i mean it it is it is a political problem in many countries like in the united states like in germany Uh, even though it's not technical problem and it's not even economical problem uh it's a political problem in in the sense that in germany you cannot be a politician that starts to talk about solving the nuclear waste problem because then you kind of you get contaminated by the by the topic, because nobody wants it anywhere near their area. But you have to put it somewhere. But since it's such a controversial and unpopular thing to talk about, nobody's willing to talk about it. So it's a problem, but it's generated by politics and, and public opinion, not technical issues or, or even safety issues or health issues.
0: That's right. No, and we have much, much greater uh, other health issues and and daily exposure to things like radiation Mm -hmm. uh, just in our daily life. And so that's, that's also another uh, key piece of it. So I want to, want to move on. I want to talk about, uh, I want to get your view on what, uh, on mining uh, in general. Um, What's, what's your thoughts on, on our uh, responsibilities and, and practices in the mining industry and a, as you can expect you know the extractive industries are, are a key piece of our modern uh, life and advancements and technology and so mm. forth what's what's your thoughts on global mining and, and what we should be doing there in, in relation to the environment
1: well first I will say that I'm not the mining expert uh, but I've done some writing, uh, especially from the point of view of of uranium production and stuff like that. Uh, The thing is that I think with mining there is a lot of this not in my backyard or not in my country problem, at least in Finland. We have some mines that have been problematic and when you discuss this topic with them you kind of get the picture that they want all mining to stop or at least go somewhere else. But the fact is that with Finnish or European mining regulations, from the environment point of view, you should be doing as much mining here as possible instead of moving those mines to third world countries that have no regulation or very loose regulation. Because there the the mining will, will cause more harm for the environment. And I do think that Mining is absolutely necessary, I like my computer and gadgets and my car and my house and all the materials needed for those come from mining. Uh, so we do need to, we need to do that, but obviously uh, I would like to see improvement, constant improvement in the kind of regulation and, and safety and environmental perspectives of, of the mining practices. Overall, and not just moving the mines to somewhere where we don't see them out of sight out of mind kind of thinking that's that's very selfish and kind of well, that's something that we rich westerners like to do to push the problems to somebody else and so we don't have to think about them
0: that's right, no, and you had a good point there about looking at doing more mining in jurisdictions that have Good sound science, engineering, and regulation uh, to be able to responsibly uh, mm-hmm. mine uh, with causing you know little little impact, if not, if not uh, no impact to the environment, if you can do it correctly, which I believe you can. And places like the <laughs> Europe and the United States, uh, Canada, Australia can really lead the way in uh, making sure that, mm-hmm. that that's done correctly, because like you said. Uh, it's such a key component to everything that we enjoy uh, in modern life. So you, you mentioned uranium, so I want to bring it up to you. Uh, what mm-hmm. is your thought on on uranium uh, today as far as mining the fuel? And what do you think is going on there as far <laughs> as that? And, and what's your kind of overview and thoughts on uranium and, and how that applies to nuclear energy?
1: Incidentally, uranium mining is one of the topics that often come up with with people who are against nuclear they they think that it's horribly messy and dangerous and uh, spreads radioactive waste around which i i think it did in the especially in the 50s 60s and and 70s but since then it's been getting progressively better uh, nowadays all the workers in the western world are strictly monitored for for radiation doses and and stuff like that so there's no health hazard from from that uh from what i've studied about half of our current uranium comes from this in in situ leaching where you actually have minimum mining activities you just leach it directly from underground uh which is kind of like wonderful <laughs> from from my perspective and then you also have uh, quite a bit of the production comes from uh, like secondary sources you mine something else and then you get uranium as a byproduct which is something that's actually happening in in finland finland right now the, the radiation regulator basically gave a permission to one one mine to start extracting uranium from their waste stream which is i think it's a wonderful thing uh, otherwise, it will be left there and it will be staying more radioactive and dangerous. So why not why not collect it and, and use it uh, to make energy? Uh, I've been also following a little bit on the uh, seawater extraction of of uranium, which has been, I think, progressing and coming down in price quite quite nicely. Uh, Especially from the perspective that if if we do get our act together with climate change and and if we do start building a lot of nuclear, then then some people have been arguing that yeah, but we will run out of uranium. But basically, no, we won't because there's a very large amount of uranium in the in the oceans, and if you find a somewhat cost-effective way to get that, then you will have as much nuclear fuel as. As you would ever want, with with quite minimal effect to the environment as well, because there's no digging, uh, so there will be no mines. There will be just some ships collecting the uranium straight from the water. As an environmentalist, that's a kind of win-win
0: <laughs>
1: situation for for me.
0: Right, I think that's certainly a, an option that's, that's that's going to be developed over time. I think that uh, with a lot of these types of different uh methods for getting a hold of this mineral. Um there's no doubt that there's plenty around in the world and I think it's it ultimately boils down to how much does it cost to get that out and obviously yeah. you know in you know ISR and and uh conventional mining of you know higher grade deposits uh continue to be the most economically robust mm. but as you look at things like extraction from uh, phosphate, uh, uranium expansion or extraction from phosphate uh, mining, um, and also from seawater. Uh, that cost the more the more time and effort that goes into the research, and and so forth. You can eventually get that cost down to where it'll become economic, and of course mm-hmm. on the other side too, the price the price will eventually get there. It's just like you know going back again to our prior discussion about. Uh, some of the waste uh, remedies. Um, certainly, as time goes on and more work is done, it's going to become more economic to look at uh, different recycling methods and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it's just like with uranium extraction; it's the same thing. Um, eventually, uh, enough work's put into it, enough capital, you'll you'll get to a point where it makes economic sense to pull it out and and to uh, to do it. So I think it's a an interesting situation uh, with that. So I want to ask you. So, uh, what can our audience do, uh, the folks that are listening? What are your What can you tell them? What What advice can you give them on how they can expand the effort for awareness of of nuclear energy?
1: Well, get uh, first. It's good to get informed. Uh, <laughs> if If a small advi- advertisement is allowed, I wrote uh, this book called Climate Gamble. It's available on Amazon. That's a good place to start uh, if you want to get informed on climate and nuclear, and especially the kind of discussion and arguments for and against the use of of nuclear power. It's a very short short and cheap book. So get informed and then then I'd say get out there. Uh, And especially if you work in the nuclear field, you are the expert. Um, But it doesn't help if you don't communicate it to to, to other people outside your kind of working field Uh, so we need we need more uh, more advocates and more people well i'd be using this metaphor of coming out of the closet thing is that Because nuclear has been so unpopular, especially in the West, that people have been afraid of saying that they work in the industry or they are pro-nuclear and they they want to see more more nuclear used in in the climate fight. But the more people do come out of the closet and do say that, the easier it will be for for the rest of people to, to do the same and it's something actually that we've been seeing in finland happening the last couple of years that more and more people are kind of feeling comfortable in in saying that no we i think that we need we need to consider nuclear as a solution for for this or that as well as as other uh other energy sources so yeah i mean we have to be brave and bold and and Be the change that you want to see in the world, I'd say. I think that was Ganti or somebody who who said that.
0: So, Rowley, where are you headed uh, over the next, uh, say, three to six months? Uh, Is there some places around the world you're going to be at uh, looking uh, at conferences and so forth? And and can you kind of highlight a few places you'll be Mm. just in case some of our audience is uh, curious?
1: Well, I'm going to be going to China in a couple of days. Actually, there's this Asia nuclear business platform conference i'm gonna give a talk there and and a panel discussion on on advanced nuclear reactors and what we could do with those since that's something that i've been working on and the next week i will be going to romania for world nuclear university summer summer institute to give a lecture on on climate and nuclear there and uh, in the i'd say in the autumn i hope to maybe go to the cop meeting conference of parties and and stuff like that but those are not confirmed i do hope to get some some vacation in in july (laughs) here in finland as well i have some small kids who i think would enjoy some time with their dad as well so i I will try to keep traveling to minimum in the summer
0: oh that sounds great how can our audience reach out to you and uh, think of tom if they want to engage with you
1: well, check out the website. It's think, thinkatom.net. Uh, check out Amazon for for my books. There's the Climate Gamble. Uh, feel free to email my my contact details are. I think they are available uh, in the in the books and in the in the websites. And uh, yeah, if if people have something to say or they want to book me for some some uh, lecture or panel discussion, I'm pretty available and and willing. So just email me, call me, whatever.
0: Well, Raleigh, it's been a great discussion. Uh, Good luck with your work and thank you for coming on.
1: Thanks. It was great for me as well. Thanks for having me.